Hey everybody, this is our last week of Easter related messages and then we're going to get back into really the end of Deuteronomy and into Joshua, but we're going to talk about what happened when Jesus was resurrected and he met his disciples three times and what we can guess at being a couple hundred people saw the resurrected Jesus saw his body, ate food with him, uh, got to touch his hands and his feet and his side to see that he was indeed the lamb who was slain. And in Romans 7 verse 11, it says, For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. And another place in Romans, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And when the fall happened, death entered the world. Death in general, the decaying, the dying, the toil that it would take to farm the land and get food from it. But also our bodies became mortal when they were made for eternity. And so before Jesus came and died and was raised to life, Death, it says in Hebrews, that nevertheless, death reigned. And Satan destroyed, or Jesus destroyed the power of Satan who had the power over death. And so there's a lot of mysterious verses in the Old Testament where they're talking about what happens after you die. And in Job 30, 23, I know you will bring me down to death to the place appointed for all the living. Psalm 13, 3. Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. Ecclesiastes 8.8 8, As no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. Ecclesiastes 9, 9-11 Enjoy life with the wife you love all the days of your fleeting life, which has been given to you under the sun, all your fleeting days. For that is your portion in life and in, this, and in your struggle under the sun. Whatever your hands find to do, do with all your strength, because there is no work, planning, knowledge, or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. It's kind of this fatalistic, materialistic, uh, focus solely on the physical. When you're dead, you're dead. And there's this weird place called the grave, called Sheol, the darkness, where we're going to go. They didn't really know. Life after death was a mystery. Of the Old Testament. That's why Paul and, and Peter, they talk about this great mystery revealed in Christ Jesus, is that we get a bodily, physical, real resurrection. And when the temple was torn, it really, truly was a perfect symbol of what happened when Jesus died and was raised to life. The veil between heaven and earth was now torn. We didn't have to we don't have to go to a priest anymore. We don't have to go to the temple anymore. We have access to God's holy of holies right here in our hearts through Jesus Christ. Jesus began advancing the kingdom of heaven right then and it will not stop until all things are made new. It cannot stop. It cannot be stopped. 2 Peter 3:11 and 12 since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? 
You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. So Peter's, something in, in what Peter is saying gives power to our actions, to our thoughts, to our words, to how we love, to how we don't love, to how we stumble and, and fumble and bumble around. But as you look forward to the, to the day of God and speed, it's coming. So death is your spirit leaving the body. Uh, if you've ever been to a funeral, it's just not quite the same. There's something different about a body without their spirit in it. And then what? And there's a lot of thoughts that have floated around Christianity and Judaism and other religions. Is Well, some people say we're, ever, we're going to be forever spirits in heaven, joining the great spiritual river. Or we remain as spirits or sleep until the last day in judgment of the Lord. And during Jesus' time, that was the prevailing Jewish belief, and it's the belief of most Jews today. Another one, we are given heavenly bodies like Moses and Elijah, but not physical ones since Christ had not yet come, become the firstborn from among the dead. So what that belief or teaching is saying is that before Christ was resurrected, everyone got spiritual bodies. Uh, that were like ours, but not as physical. And then, as Christ was first born from among the dead, we all have bodies like him. Another one, we are given a heavenly body like Christ because we now follow him wherever he goes and we inherit what he inherits. That's where I'm at. That's what I can't wait to see. And we're not, we're not going to know exactly what it's going to look like and feel like. But he says that... He is going to prepare a place for us, that he knows exactly who we are, that if our earthly parents can give us good gifts, how much greater the gifts our Father in heaven can give us. And in Romans 8.23, it talks about the redemption of our bodies. And it's just a different feeling, isn't it? When we think about life after death in heaven being a disembodied spirit, or being a very physical body, able to walk by the river of life that flows out from the temple with trees of life lining the garden and, and lining the riverbanks and just being able to sit in the shade and not the shade of the sun, but the shade of God himself lighting heaven. And after the worship time around the throne where the lamb who is standing as if slain opens the scroll and we all cry holy 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 worthy is the lamb who was slain and then we get to go to the wedding feast where food is where wine is where the greatest meal we're ever going to have begins it sounds like a very physical one and i'm going to just go through as we go through this scripture and and lesson some c.s lewis quotes and he just has a beautiful mind for heavenly things he says your place in heaven will seem to be made for will seem to be made for you alone because you were made for it your place in heaven will seem to be made for you and you alone because you were made for it and i think that's the truth there's a longing in every human heart it's why we've always been known as travelers and wanderers and always pushing to the next horizon because there's got to be something more and that something more happens when we push to that horizon of death and beyond, and find, like in Lord of the Rings, that far greener country. 
and and it, I just get excited. I used to not get excited thinking about heaven. It used to be just too much. It's forever. It's going to be boring. We're going to run out of things to do. But the more I get to know my God, the more excited I get. And I think it's important not to get over overly spiritual in our beliefs and hopes. And we think of spiritual as eternal and physical as mortal, as fleeting. And yet, when heaven has met earth in the Bible, it appears that the physicality, the vitality, the vigor, the brightness of heaven makes the things of earth just like pale gray shadows, almost nothing. There is life and touch and smell and taste and vigor and fun and sight and sound and life in our life after death. There's more life in our life after death than there is in this life. The risen Jesus is both the model for the Christian's future body and the means by which it comes about. So what we see in Jesus as the gardener, uh, he, he, Mary mistakes him for the gardener because he looks like a human. And then he has to say, Mary, like, it's me, look up. And she sees and she recognizes him. Your body will be yours. It won't be as if we have to search all of the hosts of heaven to find our loved ones, our parents or our wife or our children, because they're not going to look like themselves. They're going to look the most like themselves. There's going to be something about them, something that we can catch when we really look. Oh, it is you. And so the risen Jesus is both the model for the Christian's future body, the firstborn from among the dead, and the means by which it comes about. Had Jesus not been able to conquer death, none of us could follow him. The new life that every Christian possesses securely is invisible to the world, but it's just as real as it's ever going to be. And it will burst forth into full bodily reality and visibility when we pass from this life into the next, uh, if we get to be so lucky to be alive during the end times, I'm not sure how that one's going to work, where Jesus comes with the host of heaven behind him and, and will be gone in the twinkling of an eye. Who knows? Uh, there's a lot of mystery surrounded by that, a lot of controversy caught up in that. That's not what we're focused on. It's what happened when Jesus came back is that a new type of humanity was born. Humans could now walk around housing the Holy of Holies, that eternal life that we possess securely, and it's just breaking out. That new man is busting out of the skin, and that's, that should be what your prayers are for. Lord, help that new man, that new woman in me to, to break out so that the old person, the old flesh, just looks ridiculous and people see something brighter in me. And yet, there was still pain in death. And I've made the mistake uh, to look on death too lightly. And the older I get, the more uh, I get brought into reality. But why such sorrow from Jesus? We can think of the widow and her son, and Jesus wept and he raised the son. We can think of Lazarus. Jesus, knowing he was about to raise him from the dead, when he saw the sorrow of Mary and Martha, it broke his heart and he wept. Because death is still a separator. It still hurts to be separated. It still carries pain. And even in the view of eternity, maybe 40 years, four years, 
it seems like a short time, like just a blink of an eye to eternity. It's still without the ability to live without that clock ticking for us. Death still hurts. It still pains us. And Isaiah 53, 3, describing Jesus, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So as a Christian, it's okay to mourn. But there's that sweet verse that says, we don't mourn like those who have no hope. When you lose someone and you're certain of where they're going, there's still that excitement. I'm going to see him. I, I will see him again. I will see her again. And so what we want to look at, too, is those times in the Bible. And I listed several, but there are many more when the veil between heaven and earth parts. One time we recently covered is when John baptizes Jesus and it, it says that the dove came from heaven, the Holy Spirit, and settled on him and he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And we don't know if just John got to see that or if every person there or if only Jesus knew it and he told it to his disciples later. But heaven opened up and it was overwhelming. The angels and God who ate with Abraham and they explained to him that heaven was going to pour out judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And we got to see heavenly beings eating with Abraham. Whether it was they were just pretending to eat, but I don't know. I don't think they're deceptive. Um, there's a physicality to them. There's a strength to them that people immediately knew when they appeared. There was the meal on the sapphire-like floor with God on the throne, and it says there was a man or who, a figure who looked like a man on a throne with a green rainbow behind them. And the, just the imagery is too much to describe. They just keep saying it was like, it was kind of like this. It was kind of like that. And they ate a meal with God. The 70 elders of Israel at Mount Sinai. This is a scorched earth on top of Mount Sinai that is still visible today. On a clear day, it looks like there's a cloud right over it because the shadows of the rocks are burned into the rocks behind them. It's so incredible because heaven was being unveiled and that mountain couldn't handle it. Earth can't stand up under the weight of heaven. And there's that line, the weight of glory. I think it's a great description. Heaven weighs more. It, it's... It smells more. It's, it seems like more when, when Moses and Elijah and Jesus are transfigured on the Mount of Olives. Peter and James and John, they can barely look at it. It's so bright. His clothes, it says, became as lightning. So even the visual of heaven to us little earthlings is overwhelming. And we're going to have bodies that can walk in the shores of heaven. And we're going to be able to handle that dense physicality of heaven. And I, I think we should start thinking of heaven as more physical than we ever have because it's the perfect combination of spiritual and physical. And we forget that God made this physical realm for a reason, for a purpose, that heaven is going to be on earth. A new heaven and a new earth. Something new is going to happen at the end of all times and it was all kicked off by God becoming man in a physical body, and dying a painful physical death. And so, 
Another great quote by C.S. Lewis. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. C.S. Lewis is saying that people who have their minds on those green green hills and the river of life and God lighting up the sky instead of the sun and meeting Jesus and worshiping the Lamb, they are the ones who are most effective on earth. But it's when we try to make heaven come to us, when we try to just seek out comfort and peace and rest, and that's our entire goal in life, we take our eyes off what really matters, the advancing kingdom of heaven, a Savior that would die for us, people around us that need hope. And it's a great point. Another one he talks about, human, do you know you're immortal now? Do you know that right now, forever has started, and everything you do will echo to the very ends of forever, for good or for ill? It's quite a lot to take on. And so, as we continue through this, keep in mind that the Christian is learning that dying only brings more life. Dying to yourself, dying for your spouse, dying for your children, putting to death the things of the flesh. Of the flesh. And in Matthew 16, 25, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And there's a song by uh, John Foreman that says, it's, the title of it is Learning How to Die. We were, we're thinking that we're learning how to live. We're learning how to create and retire and be comfortable. And we're learning how to die correctly. And that is to die like our Lord, like our Savior, to be like him, to be like Peter, who, according to church tradition, was crucified, but asked to be crucified upside down because he couldn't fathom being crucified in the same manner as his Lord. Like Peter and John, they're skipping and jumping and and singing back home after they've been beaten and whipped like their Savior because he said it would happen like this. We get to be just like him. And haven't you seen in relationships when you take that first step, uh, husbands, when you take the first step, becoming a leader and saying, I'm sorry first, or owning your sin first, you die to yourself, and then seeing that wonderful response back from your wife, or even for your kids, if you lose your temper or, or you gossip about a friend, when you cut it off and you just handle it and repent and die to yourself, what happens? More life comes from it. Someone says, wow, yeah, I, I, I forgive you. Thank you so much for saying that. It happens again and again and again. And the more we die to ourselves, the more life we, we will get. That's why he says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And one of the hard truths of life is another quote by Lewis. It is quite useless knocking at the door of heaven for earthly comfort. It's not the sort of comfort they supply there. There's so much we want and we feel that we need and have to have. And as we're going through this time of isolation where things are getting exposed, the real things, what really matters is getting exposed. Um, Homes are being torn apart or they're being built up. 
but the rubber is meeting the road and things that really matter we will find out when you can't you can't escape you can't run off to work you can't run off to hang out with friends you've just got to face your family face yourself and you won't find any comfort by trying to cover it up with whatever useless band-aid we can come up with we can find the real comfort when we go to heaven when we go to God when we ask for the the comforts of heaven and that's peace joy love gentleness kindness self-control and mercy and grace for this day and last the last uh, thing we're going to do is go over Hebrews 12 uh, two parts of it therefore we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I think it's important to note, too, that uh, he didn't stay seated. He's active. He's moving. After he ascended and, and left the disciples looking up into the sky, the, the angel said, well, why are you looking around for? He said, for you to go back to Jerusalem. There's more for you. And we get to see that Jesus appeared to Saul and said, why are you persecuting me? He was still, and he still is active today. There's so many beautiful stories of Jesus appearing to people in dreams in the Middle East where there's almost no way to hear the gospel from another human and saying, this person can tell you who I am. He didn't stay seated. And in verse 18 of Hebrews chapter 12, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. With the blood of earth, the blood of Abel, the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs, as precious as that is, as powerful as that is in its testimony, it has nothing compared to the blood of the Lamb. So let's finish with this. To enter heaven is to become more human than you ever succeeded in being on earth. That's from C.S. Lewis, and that's the truth of it. Jesus was more human after his resurrection than any human has ever been. He was the first human who fulfilled a life without sin and completed it. Because of Adam, every human owed a death. And now here was a human who paid that death but never deserved it. And the power of that death, because it was Jesus, because it was God, spreads that blood, sprinkles that blood on anyone who will accept it. And so 
at the resurrection, the pendulum swung, and it's not swinging anymore. It's on the right side, it's on God's side, and the kingdom of heaven is advancing, and it cannot and will not be stopped. A new humanity was given, and you're part of that. You're part of that new creation. You've got to believe it, that you are now blameless, that you have the righteousness of Christ resting in you, not just as a covering, but as a removal of sin and as a new creation. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you so much just to be able to contemplate what heaven will be like. But you've given us an example in yourself that you have hands and feet that you can be touched, you can be hugged, you can have conversations around a campfire. We're so grateful that it's going to be more than just floating in spiritual stasis for eternity, but there'll be a worship time and a wedding feast and trees and rivers and animals and, and uh, a perfect creation unmarred by sin. We just can't wait to see what heaven looks like. Help us, Lord, to keep our minds on heaven and have that control our actions here on earth, to have our perspective right. We thank you, Jesus, for the peace that you give us that surpasses all understanding and for that joy. Lord, let us be like you and think of that joy set before us. In your name, Jesus, amen.